my name is Suzanne and I'm a chemist. I have a somewhat stressful life and I thought maybe doing a fun podcast about chemistry and history, the two things I really like, might be a good way to blow off some steam. Although this is a history podcast, some of the subject matter might not be suitable for youngsters and nothing discussed in this podcast should be tried at home. You've been warned. So here goes. This podcast is about poisons and how they've been used for nefarious purposes throughout history. As you'll see, there are plenty of stories to choose from. If you would like to suggest topics for the show, you can send them to poisonedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And someday I might set up a Patreon account, but not yet. Enjoy the show. The first story we'll talk about is Mary Bateman, the Yorkshire witch. Now, right off the bat, I want to say calling women witches is problematic, but this story takes place in 1802, so we'll give it a pass for the time being. Mary Bateman was born Mary Harker in 1769. She was a seamstress in Leeds, England, and got married to John Bateman in around 1790. She was able to establish herself as a fortune teller and minor league love potion maker at first. But eventually, either she wasn't making enough money, or maybe she got bored, or maybe her customers were getting wise to her. So she came up with a scheme in which she took an egg, wrote, Christ is come, I think she meant to say Christ, with uh, ink, and then put it back into the chicken so that she could claim she had a profit of a chicken. So the chicken would lay an egg, and it had something written on it. People were amazed, and then she would charge charge people to see it. Then she got into a ruse where she made up an older woman. Uh, First, it was a Mrs. Moore, and later a lady named Miss Blythe, who she said she would bring messages to. And this imaginary old woman would fix people's problems for a fee, of course. Mrs. Moore and Miss Blythe would give odd instructions on how the customers could repair problems that Mary told them they had, like they were going to be kidnapped or some misfortune would befall them because of a curse that had put on, been put on them. They would have to pay a fee to pay for Mary putting together solutions like sewing magical pouches with magical money into their mattresses or taking potions that she provided. So for example, she would say, give me four pound notes and then the person would give them the notes and they would say, uh, I will switch these out for magical notes. And then the magical notes would get sewn into some sort of cloth And then that person would take it home and sew it into their mattress and it would get rid of the curse. And you'll see what happened after that. So in 1806, Mary met a man named William Perigo. William had a wife named Rebecca, whose wife, whose health wasn't the best and whose doctor suggested he get in touch with a witch to see if someone had put a curse on her. So this is 1806. This was uh, medical standards back then, I suppose. As much as we criticize the medical profession these days, it really makes you realize how far we have come in the last few hundred years. At this point, Mary was using Miss Blythe as the imaginary witch who she pretended was giving her information. So Mary asked for a piece of underclothing to send to Miss Blythe, which led to the confirmation of the curse. Her recommendations included sewing some blessed paper money in linen pouches into the Perigo's mattress and nailing a horseshoe above the front door very original. I can just picture her standing on a ladder, um, nailing it up, and then stepping away saying, yep, that ought to do it. 
This is where it starts to really sound like a blatant scam because she started asking for items from their house that were valuable, like silver spoons, tea, and dishes. And uh, Miss Blythe would demand these things to get rid of all these imagined curses. When Rebecca uh, still wasn't getting better because her health had been failing, um, Miss Blythe told them through Mary to sprinkle a powder she gave them on some special pudding and eat that for six days. And also she gave them some special honey to take whenever they felt sickly. Sure enough, her and her husband ate the pudding and around the sixth day, they didn't feel very well. So they took the honey. Rebecca took a lot more than William because she was sicker, uh, but both of them got some serious symptoms. They both got painful headaches. The skin around their mouth got blackened. And then Rebecca's tongue got so swollen, she couldn't close her mouth. On May 24th, 1808, Rebecca died. William consulted a surgeon named Mr. Chorley, who told him he had most likely been poisoned with what we today would call mercury-2 chloride, based on his symptoms. He remained unconvinced for the time being, though. And at the time, uh, mercury-2 chloride was called corrosive sublimate, was widely available and was used as an insecticide. So people would actually put this stuff in their bed to um, get rid of bed bugs, things like that. So here's some facts about mercury. When most of us think about mercury, we think of metallic mercury, which has no charge on it and is a shiny liquid that used to be used in thermometers and thermostats in my lifetime. One apartment I lived in had, uh, and I was this was in about the year 2000, had an old thermostat with this little vial of mercury in it. And when so when you pop the cover off, you would see this little vial of mercury that would tip back and forth when the heat came on. So that's that stuff uh, was still around, used for a lot of things. That's metallic mercury. But in its and that stuff is it's poisonous, but it's not too bad. In its ionic state, mercury can be a lot more poisonous than the element mercury by itself. Whereas metallic mercury can make you sick or possibly kill you, you'd need a lot of it. Mercury-2 chloride is more toxic and would be easier to conceal in food because it's a white crystalline powder, although it probably doesn't taste very good, and I'm not going to be the one to test that out, but I would guess you would taste something metallic about it. Uh, the number two in the name refers to the charge, what we call the oxidation state in chemistry, for ionic mercury. So the form of mercury in mercury-2 chloride has a charge of plus two. Chloride has a charge of negative one, so you need two chlorides to balance out the plus two charge on the mercury. So the chemical formula is Hg for mercury, Cl for chloride, and there's two chlorides. So it's HgCl2. Mercury one chloride also exists, and as you, as you may have guessed, mercury ion with a charge of plus one. So that formula is HgCl. So you have a plus one and a minus one together. And the order of toxicity of these three is metallic mercury was the least toxic, mercury plus two is more toxic, and then mercury plus one is even more toxic. And then we have something called methylmercury, which is a um, covalent bond of, between methyl and mercury. That one is the most toxic. And we're not, we're not even talking about that one. That's That would kill you instantly. So um, this is where I get confused about our motivations. I, I have a guess, but I'm not sure. So you have this golden goose of a customer who believes anything you tell them, and for some reason you decide that you should kill them. Uh, I think either she didn't know how to dose people just enough to make them sick but not kill them, to kind of keep the ruse going, or maybe she had swindled them out of all their 
goods at that point and they were too sick to work so they couldn't make any more money and maybe she was just trying to cover her tracks at that point. After his wife died, William kept giving Mary whatever she wanted for almost a year as she kept warning him of more evil to come. But eventually he began to lose faith and finally he opened the pouches that were sewn into the mattress. Unsurprisingly, the banknotes were missing and contained only ordinary paper. When confronted, Mary insisted that because he opened the pouch before the magic had finished working, the notes had turned into worthless trash. So, blaming the victim once again. Nevertheless, William got the constable and went to Mary's house where they found many of the items that Rebecca had given to Miss Blythe. On March 17th of 1809, Mary Bateman went to trial for extortion, murder, and attempted murder. Now, um, if you read some of the, there's a account of the, the murder and the trial, excuse me, that you can look up. And if you look that up, it'll discuss the fact that the way they caught her was sort of like in a sting. So she had asked William to meet her and um, privately, and he sent the constable instead. And when they arrested her, they found a, another bottle of poison on her. So she had, it looked like she had um, been caught red-handed. So during the trial, it was re revealed that another family of the na last name Kitchen had been similarly exhorted, extorted of most of their worldly goods and eventually poisoned by country medicines which were probably more mercury or arsenic. In that case, there were fewer suspicions. As it had been concluded, they all died of cholera. Mary, of course, denied everything and continued to profess her innocence right up until her, uh, till the end of the trial. The jury wasn't buying it, brought back a verdict of guilty. Mary was executed on March 20th of 1809. And boy, they worked fast in those days. The large crowd was watching and a lot of people watched because they wanted to see, uh, sorry, the execution in case she used her magic to escape. Of course, this did not happen. And uh, they gave her numerous chances to repent, uh, to confess. And they kind of told her that she should confess because she's going to be executed. And she, um, you know, she should, if she's guilty, she should give it up because what's the difference? And she refused. She held on to her innocence until the end. They, after she died, they put her body on display in Leeds and charged the crowds three pence to view it. And then it was sent to Leeds Hospital and dissected. They took her skin and took, uh, made many items out of it. This is something they did quite a bit back then for criminals. They took strips of it and sold them. And they also made items out of it, like some book covers and even a cup, which is just really weird, but I guess that's what they did. And you can find a picture of this cup online. When I first saw it, I saw it, I thought it was a little pair of shorts, uh, but it's a cup and it folds up. So that's the idea. I don't know who would drink out of that. You can also find on YouTube, the Ballad of Mary Bateman. The imagery is a little gruesome though, just, just to warn you, children probably wouldn't be that interested. Or maybe they would be interested, maybe too interested. So that's the story of Mary Bateman. I hope you've enjoyed this story. And if you did, rate us and subscribe. And there are more stories to come.